Welcome to the May 2013 episode of Behind the DM Screen. Three DMs helping e- or talking about our games and helping us make them better. Or helping, e- yeah, I don't know. That's the intro. Gentlemen, say hello. Yay! Hello, <laughs> hello. Good enough. Uh, well, that's it. Mike, you're first. Go. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> so I've been running Pathfinder for the past few weeks. We've been taking a break from D&D, you know, traditional D&D, and um, we're, we're kind of waiting for the next D&D Next playtest to come out before we go back to that. So we thought we'd go with a more standard published system, and none of us had tried Pathfinder before. A lot of us had played 3.5 before, and so let's give it a shot. And uh, we're liking it for the most part. Um, my wife doesn't like it that much, The and, and I agree with her criticisms that combat... There's so many like little tweaky rules to combat, and it's and it's easy to go like, oh, thank you know. Now I remember why blind in fourth edition was plus minus five. You know, like that's so much easier than like twenty five percent mischance and fifty percent mischance on top of whatever your attack roll is, and mm-hmm. co- you know, firing into cover is minus four and all this other stuff. So there's a lot of little tweaky bits. You know, the diagonal movements that take one and a half squares. Um, but I've kind of hand waved all that. I kind of don't care. I've got enough people at the table that'll that'll audit other people that I just let things go however they go. Uh, right. There's so much like considering I haven't done anything with Pathfinder. There's so much published material out there that like I don't have to make anything. You know, like I'm it, it's a waste to try to sit down and make like a, make a monster or build a villain or whatever. There's tons of good material out there to use. So oh, I've yeah. been. Yeah, I've just been using all the all the the published stuff. Um, our adventure is in the city of Magnamar, which is one of the main kind of big trade cities in Varicia, the the kind of continent that's their primary, you know, their primary game world. Uh, there's a Magnamar campaign source book. It's a short, kind of sixty. Is it? It might be up to sixty-four page source book, soft cover source book. That does a good job of explaining the city and building out the the uh, neighborhoods and key NPCs and some interesting quest stuff. So I've been using that as my primary uh, guide for kind of getting an idea of the area. And I picked up the first uh, Shattered Star adventure. Uh, Pathfinder has lots of campaign um, campaign settings, campaign threads, what do they call them? Adventure, Adventure paths. paths. Yeah. And, uh, so there's one called shattered star, which is about hunting down these seven ancient, um, you know, ancient, uh, artifacts. And the first one is set in Magnamar. So I said, okay, well I'll pick that up and I'll use the Magnamar book and I'll kind of mash them all together and, you know, come up with whatever I come up with. And that's, that's worked pretty well. There's a lot of kind of neat ancient 10,000 year old ruins below the city <laughs> There's uh, some interesting factions in the city, a lot of gangs. There's like a, a big, there's, there's these guys called Cesarni, Cesarni gangsters that, you, and there's different gangs that are all part of this group. So you can do a lot of intrigue with that. Um, and my group's been having a good time. I've been having a good time kind of coming up with different little seeds and threads and, 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 and things to throw in their way. Uh, I've been doing it the lazy dungeon master style. I generally don't know where they're going to go or what they're going to investigate. I just kind of, come up with a few different paths and they choose the path that they, that they want. Um, it's got lots of room for kind of bottomless, limitless dungeons. They have these, uh, spires. There's, it's sitting, the, the city is this relatively new city, a hundred year old city that's sitting on top of a 10,000 year old ruin. And 
there's these like huge bridge and the bridge is kind of broken down and there's these pylons that the bridge used to be standing on and each pylon is like its own multi-level dungeon so you can you can just pack it with levels of whatever and you know there's lots of room for imagination to to kind of build things out wow cool yeah so i've 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 been enjoying that um i'd say my my the problem that i've been having is because i don't want to presuppose too much one thing that i've noticed is that my encounters have been getting flat Mm -hmm. uh normally like in fourth edition we used to spend so much time kind of designing an encounter as like this big fixed unit with you know i mean i i remember in uh, you know, I would I would have a checklist of all of the things that I would have an encounter, and I'd be like, "What's the main environmental effect? What are some of the terrain effects that are going on? Who are the monsters? What are some other kind of things? What's the overall boundary? You know, and all this." And when I'm not pre-building stuff like that, then it's like, "Well, you're fighting dire rats, you know," and then here's seven dire rats, and they come down the hall, and you're like, "Ah," oh. and I think that where that's had a bad effect is that some characters in my game, some players in my game aren't seeing a lot of action because, you know, they're the two back guys in a hallway where the battle's all on the other side, Mm. you know, and, and there's not a lot of, like I've thrown some environmental effects in the way, but generally it's, it's hard. And because I'm not a real experienced in Pathfinder, it's hard to know like what effect is going to have too much of an effect. Mm. Um, Pathfinder definitely, uh, is a lot more lethal for PCs than 4E is, and I'm not used to that at all. Mm-hmm. So it's real easy to swing a battle, you know, against the PCs, and and they're not really going to have a chance to fight out. They're just going to get wiped out if you're not careful, particularly at low levels. And we're playing at low levels, um, so that's that's been a a tough part for me. And and what I'm trying to do is kind of just, you know, come up with some ideas about like what. So the, the, this 10,000-year-old empire are called Thessalians. I think they're, they're Thalesians or something like that. And I've been kind of thinking, like, what would be some of the artifacts they've left behind and what kind of effect would those have in battles? And I'm not going to actually place them anywhere until a battle occurs. And then I'll say, like, and there's this statue that does this thing. Right. And actually, in the last game, that worked really well. I had this idea for a statue that when they first saw it looked like this black writhing thing right and that there might be light shining out from the cracks of this writhing mass in the center of the room and as they get closer it would turn out to be a statue that's covered in dire rats and the dire rats would all drop off of it and attack and the rats were just kind of sucking off of the energy of this the the negative energy of this dark statue Mm -hmm. and i i didn't really have much of an idea about what effect the statue was having i i figured i'd just like say it's minus two to your defenses and plus two to your attacks or something Mm -hmm. mundane like that you know, you're filled with, you know, unbridled wrath and you have to, you know, you're 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 not defending yourself well, but your attack score goes up. But the party was like really nervous about that statue. Like, I'm not going near that thing. Like, I saw its eyes glow. It's going to kill us. You know, <laughs> so they fought the dire rats. And then there was this whole like, oh, you know, they're dancing around this statue from far away. And I'm like, well, maybe it is more dangerous. Like, I, you know, I didn't tell them what it could do and I can always change what it does. And they ended up kind of saying, like, I, I, I told them, like, as they got closer, they just had this feeling of wrath. Like, one of the things that I'm trying to, a theme I'm putting onto it is that they're hunting for an artifact that's the shard of wrath. It's like the seven shards are all based on, like, the seven deadly sins sure. and them as wrath. So I want to, like, constantly reinforce wrath as a, um, you know, as a theme in, in overall until they recover the shard. 
And uh, so I was kind of having them get these visions of, you know, wrath and that they're, they were just getting mad and they didn't know why. And one of the guys started telling jokes. And I started to have the statue crumble as he's telling jokes. Oh, and, he's, oh, cool. and he started telling other jokes. And then other guy, other PCs would start telling jokes. And or other players would start telling jokes. And I would have it get weaker and weaker until finally. And it was basically like if they could crack me up, the statue got weaker. And finally, they told me one. I don't remember what it was, but it, it totally cracked me up. And I'm like, and then that statue explodes from the positive energy that they had poured in from kind of breaking through <laughs> wrath by by telling humor. And I thought that was kind of a fun thing and totally off the cuff. Right. There was yeah, no. That's plan. awesome. Now, were the yeah, jo- were the jokes in character or, or no? Out? No, they were outside of character. Okay. I mean, they were, they were kind of, you know, like my pirate joke, you know, like the pirate goes into a bar and he's got a big uh, big steering wheel like a ship's wheel down the front of his pants and the bartender's like hey man you've got a big ship's wheel down the front of your pants and the pirate looks at the bartender and says yar it's driving me nuts <laughs> you know i don't know I, I, yeah, anyway so <laughs> that could kind of be in yeah. game right right so i don't but I, i'm pretty loose with that like i'm not gonna be like that's not a character no that's um fine. yeah so i don't i didn't really get into that but you know so that that was kind of a Fun way to have a puzzle that just sort of happened, and yeah, and yeah it's, it's fun to, to yeah, and it's it's hard because you don't you know we're not used to improvising like that, and mm-hmm. we're not comfortable. And the other problem is it's kind of easy to tip your hand, and it's clear that you're improvising, and yeah. they're like you're just you're just making it up, aren't you? You're like yeah, I, just, I don't know, I got nothing. Like all my group knows that I do like no planning for my game anymore. Right. Um, I ran into that a little bit back uh, when I used uh, Lazy DM style for my Gamer World game, right? My yeah. game, the Gameloft game, and I tip right. my hat to one of them during dinner. And it's like, oh, yeah, right. right. You actually told them afterwards, right? Like I told them in the middle, in the uh, right. during our dinner break. Yeah, right, right. And they're like, oh, that ruins it. Right. So this isn't quite so bad. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that that does prepare. I still think that um, the poster maps. Like, I have a lot of poster maps now, and I have a big like on, on my iPad. I have a like 130 pictures of all the poster maps I've got. Oh yeah. And, and it's pretty great that if they decide like, okay, well we're going to go into one of the levels of one of those pylons and see what's in there. I could just go like, okay, I wonder what that level's like. And I'm like, Oh, it's like this. And I draw the map out and I put it on the table and that works really well. And then I've got a lot to work with because there's usually a lot of details on those maps. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think everybody's having fun. I'm, I'm not sure if they're having as good a time as they used to when I was really, putting hours of work into developing these giant, like multi-encounter kind of set piece mm-hmm. battles. I wonder if, uh, and, and this is also something I, I did when I was doing my lazy DM style uh, for Game Loft, um, that, I mean, and you've already started going then this route, right? You've got a, a handful of pre-thought up sort of environmental effects that you could plug into whatever situation you're in. Right, and then right. I wonder if you couldn't do the same thing with encounters, and, I, and that's sort of what I did. Is I, I made a yeah. list of sort of interesting monsters ahead of time that you might find, and interesting combinations. Yep. And I just sort of kept a a, a piece of paper with that list on it, uh, yeah. and, and then sort of the page number where I could find it, if, uh, you know, on the fly if I wanted to. Yeah. Uh, and I so I put together all my encounters that way. It's like, oh well, I've already decided that this creature and that creature would go well together, and this environmental effect would make that interesting, and boom, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if you can do that with both room design and the monsters, mm-hmm. uh, and the room would have some kind of effect in it, um, then you can, or maybe you have your effects as a separate, separate thing. I think I even wrote an article about this that you can you can have these kind of three variables that you can kind of mix and match given the situation, and 
come up with a, a 4e style set piece battle but you're just making it up as you go mm-hmm. so i think that can work do we want to talk about sean merwin's comment now or are we saving that to the end oh uh, we can talk about it now we, you've got because three minutes and 20 seconds left awesome uh so sean i asked i asked on twitter if anybody had any thoughts about what we want to talk about and sean merwin posted a tweet saying i'd like to hear about how you use published adventures in your game and i thought that was apt for this because uh I am kind of using a published adventure loosely, which is the Shattered Star, mm-hmm. um, uh, Shards of Sin uh, adventure. And uh, I like it. Um, I don't use it as is. And one of the things that I would rather see from published adventures is this toolbox of stuff, exactly like what you were talking about. Here's a bunch of different monster groups that you might run into in this area. And here's a bunch of potential areas in which you might run into one of these groups here's a bunch of different sort of plot threads that are going on in this area that your group may or may not get involved in you know and and that way you have this kind of toolbox of stuff that you can use so that when your party when your players are navigating through an area they can kind of define where they end up instead Mm -hmm. of these kind of scene one scene two room a room b room c Hmm. which is the kind of the way published adventures are now sometimes yeah i mean uh, although, although interestingly, I'm in the process of trying to put together a pitch for Watsi that has an adventure that uh, takes some elements like that. Uh, does what? Uh, does some? That, I mean, it's not completely like that, but it, but it's but it it, it I, I built I'm, I'm my concept is building some elements that are sort of like that to create a little more sandboxy sort of thing. Right, right. I'd like to. I, I guess I'd like to see that. And I, there's been experiments with with different things. Um, Watsi had the uh, the location adventure location things. Which were like cities and, mm-hmm. and stuff and, like that. And the, what, the Dungeon right. Delve back in the day? Well, Dungeon Delve, but even that was kind of like, here's three big rooms. Although that didn't really have, you know, you could use those for so many different things. Mm-hmm. In fact, I believe uh, Sean worked on the Waterdeep book, which is set up a little bit like that. I mean, there's no cohesive story running through that adventure. It's just three sort of example adventures. And, and otherwise, it's it's a bunch of tools for that location that you could use. Huh. What, which, what, what was the Waterdeep I believe uh, or under mountain. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. right. And they kind of fit everywhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that that yeah, that's that sort of toolbox mentality. The idea of like here's an and I've often thought like and I kind of wanted to write one like this myself, but I just never got around to it. Of you know what would an adventure toolbox be? Like mm-hmm. we give this to you. It's not an adventure. You can't run it from front to back. It's a whole bunch of pieces, and you can use these pieces however best fits. Because that's what we, most of us end up doing anyway. I think. That's what I hear most people do. That's that's not how I use my published adventures. Now, you, um, do you play them A to, a to Z? Well, I mean, I, I guess you know I'm playing uh, Return of the Temple of Elemental Evil, right? And, and it, it's already built up a little bit sandboxy. You know, you have location A, location B, location C, right? Uh, and you have to go, take them more or less in that order. But within those locations, there's a lot going on, and you can sort of go in whatever order you want. Um, so they're already a little bit loose, but I, I basically run the adventures as written, right? But then try to inject m- uh, more story into it, or more con- hooks or connections to the individual PCs, you know. Right. So, so I, but but you know, when you walk into that room, it's going to have in it what the what the book says is in that room, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So for me, kind of mixing that campaign source book of Magnamar, that doesn't count because you just talked about yours. <laughs> I'm ignoring that time. I'm ignoring. Well, and that. we're no, we're, we'll give you a few extra minutes because we're getting to Sean's. What? 
We're getting into Sean's questions. So oh, yeah, yeah. We'll give you some extra time. Yeah. So, like, the idea of taking an adventure and mixing it with, like, a campaign source book. Like, you have that Neverwinter, you know, the Neverwinter campaign guide is really good. I really like those kind of localized campaign guides. Mm-hmm. I think that, to me, that's almost the perfect sort of, well, not quite, It's but it's close to the perfect companion for me to run something because it's not so heavy-handed as to tell you like your party's going to start here and they're going to talk to these guys here and then they're going to go there it's more like here's what this area is like um you know Gloomrot was like that mm-hmm. uh neverwinter right. was like that the menzo berenson book is like that mm-hmm. um the magnamar is like that there's a couple other pathfinders uh, uh paizo has a couple of other books like that mm-hmm. and they, there's these kind of localized campaign books i think are really useful uh, I did hear a tip that I really wish I had used. Uh, I, I use more, and particularly when I think about Gloomrot and Neverwinter and Mag- and Magnamar and uh, Menzo Berenson, is that you don't have to do all of it at once. Like you don't have to open the whole city up to the group and be like, mm-hmm. "Which neighborhood do you want to go to?" And right. now I got to go read all the things in there. Instead, it's kind of nice to just say, "We're going to start it in this place." Yeah, and we're going to run like one or two or three adventures just here. And then I'm going to say, now we're going to go to the neighboring one over here. Or maybe an adventure takes him from that one to this other part of the mm-hmm. city. That reminds me of what I would do. We, we recently reviewed uh, the Midgard campaign setting. Yeah. And it, it is a really dense book. I mean, there was a yeah. lot there. Um, and, and I don't think, as a DM, I don't think I could familiarize myself with the world right, adequately right. in order to run something there. But if I just focus in on, okay, we're going to start in the dragon emirates or yeah. i think that's the name of it, right and so i'm just going to read that chapter really know that chapter and then as they travel or do other things or whatever then i can sort of read that part and, and, and just keep it loose and, and familiarize yourself with one part of a time at a time right right yeah i think the uh dark sun campaign guide was also like that that you know there's a lot of cities in dark sun but they clearly focused on tier is the main city sure. dark sun and that worked really well for when i ran a dark sun game i could just focus on tier you know i could kind of use all the elements in tier that were that were interesting and um uh you know that worked out really well so mm-hmm. but that idea of i think i think one of the things particularly with these adventures and with these campaign settings you know these guys are paid by the word and the you know they are still public you know they, they have to be published at a certain size but you don't have to use all that right you know it can be just you can just use two pages it's okay well, or and you, I, just, I, you only I, need three NPCs, not a, a, an entire Excel right. spreadsheet. I think that what you're looking for is very diff- in a published adventure is very different than what I'm looking for in a published adventure. However, I think there's already a, a giant stack of thousands of tons of stuff for me. <laughs> and, and there's only a handful of things that kind of sort of fit what you're looking for. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, I guess like for me that the, the tough part is I, I don't, you know, I don't want to do any work. And when I, when I buy a published adventure, I have to read it front to back. And that's work. And that, that takes work. That's mm-hmm. effort. Right. And I don't, I, I need something where I can just pick it up and run it. Like I'd really love to be able to pick up an adventure and just say like, this looks cool. And then run it, you know, open it for the first time when my group is sitting there staring at me. I think, be able to I, that I think one might make the argument if you, that if you want to put in zero work, maybe you should be playing instead of DMing. No, I mean, I, I don't put it totally zero, right? But like to me, it's actually not necessarily easier to run a published adventure than it is to write my own because writing my own, I, you know, I can make up that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I know there's, I know I'm not, I know I'm running that right. 
where a published adventure, I'm like, oh, I totally screwed this up. You know, there's this well, whole it's, it's really book. just a trade off of time. When you're writing your own adventure, you do all the work up front, but you're so intimately connected to the material that during the game itself, you can run it pretty off the cuff because you're familiar with the material. Right. The other one is you've got to spend a little bit of time reading the module to make sure you know what's going on. Mm. And so it may not run as smooth at the table, but all the material is there so that you don't have to try to come up with anything. So right. it's kind of a six of one, half a dozen of the other. Um, you know, I when I run to answer sean's question myself i usually run them like jeff said I, I run them pretty straight up but i might change a couple of things in it but as for the third part of his question do i bring in stuff from other games i'm gonna have to say no i don't huh. because i'm only um i can really only at a dm level familiarize myself with one at a time yeah mm -hmm. It's, and pre so it's pretty rare I, for me as well. I don't usually pull things out of an adventure and stick it somewhere else. If I if I get an adventure and run it, I run the adventure as is and, and just inject, yeah. add to it. I don't change I change it too much. I usually just add to it. Yeah, right. Yeah, I yeah I I steal all over the place. I mean, I've been like I ran through the whole H one through E three series for for fourth edition, and I played them pretty much by the book until I started to get into the mid Paragon ones, and then I started changing them. Mm -hmm. And then by the end, I was just I was barely taking loose concepts from them. Mm -hmm. And I was, and you know, I really, and a lot of that was because of the way my group had kind of steered things. Um, but I was pretty happy with that, and that's how I'm running the Magnamar stuff now, and and I'm I'm very happy with it. All right, so you've yeah, had you've had twenty minutes now. Yeah, I'm done. All right, uh, except you're not done because uh, it is time to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight Games. Where out of print is available again, and Mike has the pick of the episode. So, Mike, what is our pick of the episode from Noble Knight? I don't know. Uh, no, it's the the Pathfinder Shattered Star uh, Shards of Sin uh, adventure path. The first the first adventure of the that. very adventure that you're running. Yes, very adventure I'm running. Yeah. Well, again, I'm kind of running it. Um, but what I really liked about this adventure, particularly for the way I I use it, is it's it, there's a lot of good detail. There's a lot of interesting NPCs. It's got some really good quests in there. The layout of the adventure is is really well done. Uh, if you if you like a city based adventure where there's kind of intrigue with gangs and other interesting stuff going on, uh, this is a really fun adventure to run, and uh, I'm very glad I have it. And I actually just bought the second one. Right on. Well, so, that's a pretty good endorsement. So I would recommend it. The other thing I'd recommend, and I'm, I'm getting, I'm 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 hoping they have it there, uh, is the Shattered Star poster map folio, which includes some of the best maps i've seen for the city and whipping those city maps out and laying them out in front of your group and kind of saying like here's where you are and here's where you need to go really adds this whole raiders of the lost ark sort of layer to the campaign cool so people should totally check that out over at noble knight we'll have a link in the show notes uh and it is currently running at about 12 bucks on noble knight which is 37 percent off um, yep. so and check it out at noblenight.com and now listen to the ad Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases. Including D&D? They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them. What if I want a board game? Card game minis or dice? Noble Knight has it all and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more? Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight, then. 
They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade, so you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com. Wow, I'll go today. And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. And we're back, and it's Randall's turn. Take it away, Randy. Hey, well, still um, haven't played yet, but <laughs> I did get a crew together. So we've got about five or six players, um, and we're going to be playing some D&D next, and we did get a chance to roll up characters uh, last month. Um, at least all but my wife really did, so we're still waiting on hers. <laughs> we <laughs> knew that in May this month we wouldn't be playing, so I'll be doing this, saying the same kind of thing again um in june when we record but um we had other things coming up so we can't play in may mm. however um like i said we did roll up some characters and they're digging the system so far i didn't have any real complaints um i can't really say that as the rules stand right now that it's uh while you can do it by hand, which is fine, it's the only way to do it. There's no electronic assistance here. Um, it still takes about two hours <laughs> um, to fully develop a character. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of that has to do with the fact that my I've got a lot of power gamers in my group, mm. and so they're they look for optimization. So um, not quite as they're not looking for it as hard as they did in the 4e game. But they are still looking for optimization, and so that takes them a little bit of time um, for when they're uh, filling out their characters. Uh, one of the couple of things that I can talk about, though, is that um, I asked a series of questions. After after they'd already gone home, I sent out an uh, email to them, and I asked them a series of questions about their character to try to get a little bit of development into them. While this isn't a full-on campaign, I wanted them to... Uh, I wanted to try out this technique to see how it will work for when I start my official, you know, D&D Next campaign when the game is actually released. So um, because I'll reboot at that point um, and start fresh. Uh, but uh, um, I asked him some questions and uh, I've got some examples here since I don't really have anything else to talk about. I'm going to talk about some of the questions that I asked my players. Um, one of the characters is a human mage. And so what I did was I took two questions and I asked those of everybody. And then I took two specialty questions um, related to their character class, kind of. And uh, like, for example, for the, my, for the human wizard, I asked him the, the two standard questions, which, which is, where are you from? Is it local, regional, distant? Name that place and tell me what brings you to this part of the world. And then um, I also asked him... Uh, Give me the name of one relative and your relationship to that relative. And I said, orphan is not acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> I get tired of players that, well, I'm a loner, I'm an orphan, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Nope, you're not. Someone birthed you. Let's figure it out. <laughs> you know, somewhere there's a family member. Um, how, how developed is your world at this point? Oh, none at all. So, so, so when they say, like, I'm coming from this place, they're actually making it. They're actually making it. And I've got an example yeah. of that because my wizard has not responded to me. However, um, let me go back. And my um, rogue, who's actually doing an assassin build, which is per the D&D Next rules, or a whatever they called it. I think it's an assassin build. Um, he actually came up with um, some very good... Uh, Wizardy pretty stuff. Bad. Like four four paragraphs, but he came up with some pretty good. He, 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 you know, I now have a land called um, 
uh, Janford, <laughs> which I didn't have before. So now I have this, uh, and he described it as a forested and mountainous region. So, you know, now I've got the land of Janford. It's apparently run by a princess. Um who he was going who he was going to assassinate but then did not mm. for some reason and so the assassin's guild the black fist um is after him oh that's cool so because he did not do the assassination now i had to ask him some questions because there were some things there were some gaps in what he had written me sure. um and one of the two specialty questions i asked him was what political, religious, or other organization do you spy for? What kind of intel? Oh, he's a it's a spy build. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Do you spy for? And what kind of intelligence do they want you to gather? And then the other question was: All spies keep secrets. Tell me your character's deepest secret—a secret that, if it got out, would cause you to either flee for your life or flee in shame. So um, that's where he came up with this whole idea that he was supposed to assassinate this princess, but he did not. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but otherwise he answered all my questions and I've got actually quite a bit of meat here that I can, you know, I can work into the, to the game if I have to, even if I'm running standard adventures, I can run this in. Right. He actually says he took up with another troop of, of, of thieves called these, called the shadow dancers, which are actually a performing troop, but they go out and they basically rob people, <laughs> you know, during the performance or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, uh, but uh, so we're getting I'm getting some good information um, from my pl- players. It's trickling in, but they know we're not playing this month. So I told them, I said, you don't re- you don't have to rush this, you know, send it to me whenever. It's just that, you know, you've got to send it before June when we actually end up playing. So um, so I'm hoping that I'll have uh, some more uh, good background information like that by the time uh, the next game rolls around. But I like this part of the character. This is one of my favorite parts of the DM. I love this part of the character creation process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it, this is some of the best part. Uh, I like being able to have the players um, come up with some of their own things, give them gives them a little ownership. Um, if I've got some questions about what they've done, we, I can, you know, we can go back and forth like that, um, you know, uh, and so and, and work something out that's, you know, that's reasonable and that's the best part. I'm looking forward to starting up in, in June. So the trick is that sometimes um, the, the fun of doing all of that collaborative sort of character building and background building and all that kind of stuff can sometimes um, then disappoint in implementation, you know? Yeah, it can. And you know, that's always a risk, but um, you know, I'm going to try my best not to do that. <laughs> oh no, no. Yeah. I'm not, and I'm not saying don't do it. I mean, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is, uh, Try you know my one of the things I always I, I want I need to do better at I guess is that when I do that kind of stuff is that I need to I need to give them the bang for their buck you know you we put oh, all yeah. this in together now I need to really make that pay off. Mm-hmm. The nice thing about it is like the village of Hamlet, which is what I'm going to be running them through to begin with, mm-hmm. has opportunities for me to work. For example, the Black Fist in there if I need to. Sure. You know I could easily make. Uh, you know, one of the merchants or, you know, someone staying at the end of the welcome winch, uh, you know, one of those assassins, assassins that are after them. So, you know, I can, or him that is. And so I can work that in and I'm sure that opportunities will, um, come up that will, uh, you know, enable me to do that with the rest of the characters as well. I think my yeah. wife is planning yeah. on playing a Druid. So, you know, certainly there's a Druid in the village of Hamlet. So there's, you know, there's opportunities there too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that stuff's great. I mean, I think that, yeah. you know, 
that's a it's a really fun way to kind of get them involved. I I don't know that you have to always give them the bang for the buck for everything they come up with. No, no sure, but no, there no, has no, to be no. something yeah, where right. the, you have to, where they realize that that all that whole process was right. worthwhile and meaningful. You know. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of gauge the player. Sometimes they might have come up with something and they're not even that into it later on, and you just kind of let it fade away. But if you can bring it in, it really works. Right on. Right, and like I said, you have to sometimes you know you have to work with the player because sometimes they may come up with stuff that that would sort of either break or not work for your particular that, campaign. That doesn't quite make sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, for example, this particular player had, had thought that the reason that the assassins wanted to kill her was that she had the power to see into the future. Mm-hmm. And I thought, eh, princesses that can see into the future sort of isn't appropriate for my campaign. It could be that she just simply has enough political power that they wanted to kill her. You know, go simple. You know, there's no reason to overcomplicate it. It could just be that she has more political power than she needs, and they wanted to kill her. So, or maybe they think she can see into the future, but it's actually something completely different going on. Uh, see, now that's even more complicated. Uh, so, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, no, let's just let's make it simple. Um, one of the things I try to do in my campaigns is that while I'm not a realist, you know, it's a fantasy game with magic and all this other stuff. Um, I don't. I do have lines where uh, that will stretch credibility or credulity for me. Um, and so I just, if there's some reason for doing something, it's usually a pretty earthly reason for doing it. I mean, the world's pretty complicated as it is, and there are more than enough reasons to do things. Yeah. Plus, as, <laughs> and, as one uh, of yeah. my, as one of my, uh, yeah. as one of my former players used to say, time travel is headache magic. Yes. Seeing in the future is pretty darn close to that, you know? Yeah, exactly. I hate time. Oh, God, I hate time travel. I love time travel stories. I hate trying to make them. (laughs) That's just it. The closest I get to time travel is Doctor Who. So I don't. Yeah. Back to the Future, can't stand those movies. Oh, yeah? Absolutely hate them. I can't stand them. The first one was okay. The rest of them (laughs) totally suck. Should we spend the rest of your five minutes critiquing time travel stories? No, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> did, I, did I tell you how I backed myself into a time travel story in my uh, 4E campaign? I don't know. I, I, remember. I, had a, I had a monster that was, uh, that I said had been bred for like, it had been bred for 800 years to kill the party. Oh. <laughs> and, and I was like, wait a minute, you know, like, and someone's like, they gave me a quizzical look and I'm like, okay, now I got to make that happen. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. But, awesome. but that's what's going on right now. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it in June. It should be a lot of fun. Um, I like the D and D next rule set. There's no, there's no doubt about that. I'm happy with what they've coming up with, mm-hmm. um, and the changes that are on the horizon seem like they can be folded in without too much extra work with the current playtest document. So, mm-hmm. um, that's Wait. always a good thing because I don't really. It's killing trees left and right trying to. <laughs> oh yeah, I've and got, I told I've my got... players up front. I said, look, guys, I'm providing you packets. Because I did. I printed out packets for them wow. with all the relative information. I said, from here in, you're on your own. Update your characters. <laughs> Get onto the playtest, whatever. But update your own files and mm-hmm. from here on. Because I'm not printing out any more trees or killing any more trees with this. So that I have yeah. to. I've got, we, we've gotten to the point where I think almost all but like two of my players actually show up at the table with, with a tablet. Yeah, we all have iPads. Yeah. I'm going all paper. Yeah. Um, the only thing that I will have, and I do this with all the modules. You're talking about what you do with modules. 
I actually go out and I make spreadsheets of all of the monsters and all of the treasures that are in the module. I have to do this for me. <laughs> this is just one of these OCD things that I have to do. Mm -hmm. And so it, one of the things it does is it helps me organize and tell me what's there. It helps me plan out my miniatures. It helps me do a lot of things. But um, but in that process, uh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and having your, your players bring their electronic devices to the table is always sort of a... A double-edged sword, right? On on one it hand, is. we have yeah. access to everything at all the time, all the time. But I do have two players that will, you know, I had a player at my last game last weekend who, in the middle of the game, somebody introduced him to the game Scribble Knots, and then he spent the other the rest oh, of the no. the rest yeah. of the game or you know playing Scribble Knots and, and shouting out his actions, you know, in between in between rounds or whatever. Yeah. I, have, I have a guy who plays Final Fantasy four while he's playing my D and D game. Yeah. And I'm like, that's ironic. He's playing a role-playing game while playing a role-playing game. <laughs> yeah, I won't tolerate that at my table. Um, and like I said, I, even I'm going paper. Like I said, except for – that's where I was going with this. The spreadsheet's open in the background behind me just so I can reference it. Mm -hmm. But I'm not on it. And I'm actually doing initiative and everything else and keeping track. I've got little cards that I've printed out for everybody for all the characters and all the initiatives will be handled out like that. You know, turn over the card. You're the next person. Mm, that wow. kind of thing. So you're going to go old school with it, and because um, if they're really wanting to sell D and D next that way, they're going to have to figure out a way to do it without electronics. Oh, well, and, and I think you can when there's yeah. a book, but there's no book right now. <laughs> so yeah, right. I've got my laptop you... open in front of the in front of me the entire game because that's how I access the B series. That's how I access the rules when there's a question. That's how I look up spells. You know, because mm -hmm. I'm not printing it all out. Yeah, I can't wait till there's a published book. Yeah, well, I mean, oh, well, I, yeah, I can't, help. I can't wait, but I can because I want to make sure they do it right. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, yeah. So I'm hoping to get a good good year's worth of playing in before they release the game. Because I think everyone, I think the general assumption at this point is August of 2014. But, you know. Mike, are you eating ice cream or something? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the clank of a spoon going on back there. No, that's uh, it's your imagination. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I nailed it, didn't I? It's ice cream. <laughs> no, it's pudding with strawberries. Oh, <laughs> Suck it, Griner. <laughs> you showed me. So good. So professional. <laughs> I'm chewing on the strawberries slowly. Well, Randall, we're uh, spending uh, your gaming talk time discussing Mike's strawberries. Well, we can also ask answer the second question that we received today. All right, you've got 37 seconds. Um, i got to find <laughs> it. It was in Twitter. Did we get it? Well, why don't, while you look it up, why don't I remind people that you can go check out um, the Tome Show's affiliate uh, Amazon link as well as our D&D Classics link if you're looking for D&D PDFs. Uh, if you click to those through thetomeshow.com, then we get uh, part, of the, part of the profits and it helps us pay our bills and, and keep things, keeps things going. So check that out. We'll, uh, we're about to run out of time, but that's okay. We'll spend a few minutes talking about the other question if you found it. Um, darn it. Mike, it may have gone to you. Ha! What was it? The question? Yeah. As far, it was on Twitter, but it was one other question. It wasn't Sean's, it was another guy's. Yeah, there was another one. I remember seeing it. Mm, let me look. And it was a good question. That's why it was kind of, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't lame. Well, there was one that was about, um, what do you do when you have an, a party all from one class or something? Oh, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. That yeah, yeah, yeah. That would, yeah, that, yeah. 
So yes, yeah, so I've never I've never had that situation, so I've never. You know um, what? I, I um, I had that very heavily suggested at my last table actually that you know they wanted to do a one shot where everybody played a certain not a, not one class but uh, a, a certain theme of classes um and, and i think with the way it would work it it could happen but i don't know that i can talk much more about it because it's um using uh friends and family playtest stuff so um yeah, and I don't know if it, it may have blown by two quests, but the question was, can have you ever run a party that all has the same class, and what how what uh, could we possibly do to work to work with that or whatever? Make that happen, yeah. And I think yeah. I, I think I think the trick is um, rather than saying all one class, say all one theme. You know, so um, you know they, they gave the example of, of uh, crusading clerics, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they don't all have to be clerics, right? You can be paladins. You can yeah. say crusading priests. They're all part of Monks. the same religious order, right? But then that gives you a little bit of, of wiggle room. You can still have your, your bashers and your healers and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, I think even if you take him literally and say, okay, fine, you're all clerics or whatever. You're all clerics of so-and-so or you're all fighters or you're all rogues. Um, that's the closest I've ever been. I was in a party that was almost like all rogues except for like a wizard or something like that. Mm. Um, so I've done similar things like that. The thing you really have to do is you have to really work with the DM. And the DM's really got to be on board because he's going to have to make a lot of allowances mm-hmm. for that particular – I mean if you're all clerics, yeah, you're pretty safe. Because you got healing. I mean, y'all can heal each other and yeah. you've got spells and you've got a reasonable fighting ability. You know, a whole team of clerics could probably do a pretty good job cleaning things right. up. But you, if you're and like, you could, and you could go all nature worshippers, and then you got druids for healers and that kind of stuff, right? But right, exactly. But you know, um, but if you do that, like I said, you got to really work closely with your DM because your DM is going is going to assume, and a lot of the material he may have will assume that you have a mix of different classes able to fill different niches and stuff like that. So you might have to fill in the gaps. If you've got fighting classes, you might have to give out extra healing potions. You know, you might make sure that wizards have, you know, scrolls that they can use if it's an all-wizard party. Hmm. Um, obviously, the heavies are going to have to be pretty lightweight. Um, if you got all wizards because they're all squishy and soft. <laughs> well, they're going to have to be low damage, uh, high hit points, right? Right, exactly, <laughs> something like that. So, you know, like I said, the DM's going to have to make a lot of allowances. So as long as everyone's on board, it can work, but, you know, just be prepared for that. Yeah. That's my you know, answer for that. Question. Yeah, yeah. I, I still like the idea of going more thematic than, you know, a, a, maybe a oh, tight, I like that may, idea. Maybe a tight theme, but... All, all one class would be would be hard, and I don't as a DM yeah, I, as a DM I just say no because I don't want to do that. Right, I concur. I think I, I think unless the system has a lot of customization for a class, it's going to get really boring mm-hmm. because everybody's going to be basically the same. I think they're going to get just as bored as the DM would. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think but I've, right I've done the thematic. Yeah, just, I've done the thematic way before. I did that in my Dark Sun campaign. I've done it with some other ones, and mm-hmm. it works really well. Yeah. And you know, and sometimes it spurs creativity. That that limitation that you put on people will sometimes make them more creative and come up with better ideas. Well, and one of the things with D and D next with backgrounds is that you could all set the same background, mm-hmm. and that would might be thematically interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, you're all maybe you're all commoners. You know, you come from a small town, and you know, or you're all um, soldiers or yeah. whatever. The whole thing is, so, is, a, is a bit of a slider, right? You can you can limit yeah, li- limit exactly. limit really tight, or you could loosen up, and you can go everything in between. Exactly. Right, right. All right. Should we go ahead and get so, into, into my time? Yeah, good job. Right, go. All right. 
So I'm conti- I've been continuing my Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil um, campaign. We've had, I don't know, two, two sessions, I think, since the last time we met. They, they've officially left Homlet um, and, and headed off to Raster to, the t- to find the Temple of All Consumption. Um, I, I, did I tell you last time when I did the, the flash sideways sort of thing and I had them play NPCs in Homlet when it was ravaged and destroyed and a bunch of the guys were killed? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I told okay. you about that. So, so so when they left Homlet, they, they traveled back through town and sort of saw the effects of all of that and you know, which of course the players were already aware of, but now the PCs know about. Um and they're like, Well, I guess there's not much we can do besides, you know, get to the heart of this thing, which is over there. So um they took off to go do that. Um and basically I, I ran an entire session as almost entirely random encounters on the two week journey from Homlet to Raster. Hmm. And that was one session. And I and I just pulled out the random encounter charts that were in the adventure and, and rolled those up and, and then just tried to, you know, oh, you ran into a bunch of dwarves that are, that are you know, they're not necessarily hostile. Hey, the whole storyline here is that the temple has besieged Hammerfast. Those dwarves aren't just dwarves. They're emissaries on their way to ask for help from Winterhaven, you know. Um, so, you know, every time I, I tried to implement or integrate everything or not everything, but I'd say 50% of the random encounters I integrated into the story in some way. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, I did manage to kill my first, uh, PC. Mm. Yes. So, uh, they, they ran into a stone giant. It was one of the higher roles and, and the stone giant several levels above them. And so they ran into this stone giant who's just sort of standing on a hill next to the, next to the road and says, Hey, this is my road. Pay a toll. And everybody's oh, like, they didn't pay the we're, toll. Well, we're fighting you. Right. And so, well, not, no, actually, um, almost everybody said, he's only asking for 30 gold. Let's just pay the toll. You know? <laughs> and they, they actually t- tried to talk him out of it for a while. Well, what if we just walk, you know, next to the road? Then we're not on your road anymore. He's like, no, no, no. The road is everything yeah. I can see. Right. As far as my stone can be thrown, that is my road. <laughs> Which is far because <laughs> yes. I'm a stone giant. Right. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so they're like, oh, all right, it's, it's not worth it. Let's just give the guy the 30 gold. And then the paladin's like, no, we can't let this guy rob people on the road. So the paladin charges and everybody else is like, fine. Of course. Fine. Lawful he's stupid. Fine. Yeah, he's your oh, paladin. And they man. all backed off. <laughs> they, they actually walked, walked away from the fight oh. and got further away until he was injured to the point that he needed healing. And the, and the druid got a little closer to help him out. But, um, yeah, so he ended up being smeared. Um, I have, uh, oh man, I have such a story about that kind of thing. I was he killed, a, was he killed outright or was he, uh, oh, he was, he, was, he was dropped. Um, he, he was dropped and then I think he was dropped and, and failed his death saves before anybody could get to him. They were that far away. Oh, wow. So he had opportunity. It's just yeah. bad luck. Yeah, well, a bit of bad luck and a bit of him, you know, th- putting himself out there in front without any sure. support, right? And and a bit and a bit of the rest of the party leaving him out, hanging him out to dry, you know. Always pay the toll. <laughs> <laughs> the stone giant. Always. Oh, except of course when my character, I had an actual troll bridge. Yeah. Where a troll was guarding the bridge, so it was a troll bridge and not a toll bridge. Yeah, yeah. And he asked for the tr- the toll, and they decided to fight him, right? And they kept bringing him down to zero hit points, but they kept regenerating because, sure. well, you know, troll. Well, it got to the point where they were beating the crap out of him, and the cleric was actually getting distressed. It was like, you are torturing this poor troll. It's <laughs> dead, and then it regenerates, and then you hit it again and kill it. And he was, like, getting visibly upset. And finally, they're all going, well, we don't know how to kill it dead. And finally, someone, I think, remembered their monster manual or something and, yeah. like, um, yes, Put a torch in it. 
burn him. <laughs> yeah. And they finally put the poor thing out of its misery. But it actually distressed the lawful good cleric. It was like, sure. why are you killing the troll? But anyway, you know? so yeah, so then they, they they did all that and they got finally got to Raster. And Raster is a tiny little town and they met some of the NPCs there and asked around and, and learned a little bit about the town. And, and we sort of ended that session on a role-playing encounter. They met the local wizard. They actually ended up liking the wizard a lot because some, somebody um, flirted with her on, on sort of a joke and she totally flirted back. And then um, then she cast a, a, I don't know, a dancing or not even light, it was just light on a pc's nose and made it flash different colors or you know it tortured him and everybody thought that was funny and you know so yeah. they, they came to really like her and, it, and that worked out well because while we did those last um those last few random encounters that's when the other the player of the paladin was making his new character who's a wizard um and you know so she ended up being the introduction to this new this new character uh, and that's more or less where we left off that session the next session then they they um head off to the temple. Um, we had one player who's usually sort of the leader of the party who was gone during the previous session, um, who was back for that, for that session. And, um, I made this story basically about how he actually, he had actually disappeared in Hamlet or when they were in Hamlet. Uh, he, they woke, everybody woke up one, the next one morning and he was just gone. Um, and so that I did some email exchange with him and, and what had happened is he had been snagged by an angel of Moradin um, and given the sort of this holy quest, because the Temple of All Consumption used to be this ancient um, dwarven home, right? And so uh, I laid some some groundwork. You know, I I, t- I tied him in a lot, and I sort of um, gave him a, 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 an excuse to shine and really care about the storyline. And you know, got to speak to an emissary of his god and connected him to some of the NPCs back in Raster who might be important later on and all that kind of stuff. And then he, you know, when he was done with his vision, he was just appeared back. He appeared in Raster, you know, because that's where he needs to be. Well, now and then, then we sort of said, well, he's been there for two weeks waiting for the party to show up and just sort of scouting out the area and figuring things out. Mm. Uh, they assaulted cool. the, ma- the main gates of the Temple of All Consumption, uh, which is honestly the easiest thing to do. So that was good. Um, and they, they are working their way towards the Earth Temple and, and some craziness went down there. One of the things I discovered along the way, uh, I know I mentioned before that when I don't have a monster in the next bestiary, I've just been using the third edition stats for him. Uh, and, mm-hmm. that, and that that was working pretty well. So, so here's the, what I figured out. That doesn't necessarily scale. Yeah, right. At lower levels, that works right. fine. Um, but as as I get into higher level creatures, um, you know, there was some – the Earth Temple is completely populated by troglodytes. You got a troglodyte in full plate armor who's also like sixth level. And suddenly the AC is so high, the next yeah. characters can't hit it. You know, right? Because because I mean, armor. Well, I guess the math is know. much flatter. In next, it's a lot flatter. Yeah, exactly. So so in the third edition character uh, or monsters or stats or whatever, you know, their their AC has gone up f- faster than they would in, in next. Um, so you know, it, it they were having a heck of a time just hitting this one guy because he had an AC of you know twenty four or twenty five or whatever it was. So I got to figure out to do, how to do some conversions there, you know, minus four or minus three or whatever to an AC here, add a little damage there to make up for it. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I need to figure something out there. Can you reskin? Uh, to a degree, but but because it's third edition, right? There's a lot of um, like we have troglodytes, so I can just pull up next troglodytes. But they've so far fought three troglodytes, one of two of which were troglodyte troglodytes with cleric levels. And one of which was a, is a troglodyte with a, with fighter levels. Mm-hmm. Right. There's no way to do that in next. Well, you can kind of just grab a 
you know, grab whatever that makes them troglodyte, makes a troglodyte feel like a troglodyte, and then grab one of the acolyte or dark priest. Yeah, and just throw the powers in there. And just right. pretend to, you know, just say it's a troglodyte, but get it with the dark priest stuff. They'll never know. No, they won't. And, and that's what I need to start doing, but that's not super easy to do. And also, when I'm on the laptop, and, I get, and it's not any easier with, with a book, right? Because then I have to flip between seven pages at once. Yeah, and, and mix and match. So I'm trying to not do a lot of prep, and that's part of what I'm enjoying about having um, the the published adventure. But uh, so yeah, and then I'm I, I'm liking what I did with the the dwarf um, and and his connection to Morden and all that, and I'm connecting him to to the leader of Raster, who's a dwarven uh, cleric of, of Morden and, and a descendant of the dwarves who used to be in the in the temple and all that. Uh, but I want to try to make sure I give others an opportunity to shine. The player of that dwarf is the same player uh, who became the god of magic in the fourth edition campaign, right? So that player has had lots of opportunity to shine. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to try to make sure I, I don't neglect other players at the table. Uh, so I want to co- do some awesome stuff with them. Uh, I did have three. Uh, there's a there's a, a spot in the moat house back in Hamlet where if you do stuff just right, you end up having a conversation basically with Thera's done and he mm-hmm. offers a blessing in the form of a black fruit. Wow. And, and if you, if you eat the black fruit, you actually get a permanent stat increase. Uh, and three of the players did, but I want there to be some sort of effect, some sort of larger story consequence to that. Um, and I remember when I've played through this adventure when other people were running it for me, um, there was an instance where some, somebody ended up becoming the new chosen of Therizdun. And, and there's, there's actually an NPC who's supposed to be the chosen of Therizdun, and that's important for later on. But I thought it might be interesting if one of the, the PCs became the chosen of Therizdun. And so um, I'm wondering if you guys have any ideas for what I might do with these three PCs who ate the black fruit and how that might play out for them later. Ooh. Hmm. Don't all start at once. Sounds cool. <laughs> yes, but how do I do it? Do I do I create some sort of competition between them, uh, where where you know Therizin is testing them to see which of them is going to be the chosen, which would be in line because that's how the Temple of All Consumption is set up. There's actually four temples of Elemental Evil, one for each element, and they're, they they actually fight and kill each other because they're all compete. It's all survival yeah. of the fittest. Right. Do the right. players have any idea that they're under this compulsion? Well, I mean, they were there, and they they're they're the ones that chose to eat the fruit, right? So they don't want to go back, then. In other words, there is their alignment changed. No. But they but they accepted the the blessing of Thera's done, um, and okay. they did they did so willingly, um, and they did so largely, I think, because of the mechanical choices. Like the, the first person did it because you know they're kind of goofy and crazy and said, "Hey, what the heck? You know, why not?" And they're a little chaotic, and that was fine. And then I think the other the, the other sort of got the hint that something really cool happened, and so then they chose to do it too. Because I, I t- every time it happened, I took them out of the room so nobody knew what was going on. Hmm. Uh, okay. Hmm. But I want to figure out how that would play out, and how do we, you know, now that there's three of them, how do I pick which one, and and um, you know. And I think that you know that gives, that gives an opportunity for three of them to shine, right? Hmm. And I wonder if I if I couldn't do something where each of them becomes a representative of one of the different elements. That's an interesting Ooh, idea. You know? Give them a power yeah. based on that. Yeah. So as they've entered the Earth Temple, maybe after they defeat the Earth Temple, one of them, you know, um, the the symbol for the Earth Temple maybe appears on their forehead, um, and they gain powers based off of having defeated the yeah, Earth give Temple. Give them a, just grab a spell out of the. Spellbook and just let them cast that spell like once a day. Yeah, 
So it might be something, like, something that, like that where there's where yeah. there's three of them that develop you know powers based on three different the three uh, three the three temples that they that they probably will defeat over the course of of the adventure. So every time they do, one of them gets a power, and then we have to figure out well which one is the real chosen. Then I don't know. Yeah, I think. That, yeah, I'm with my. I think a, a elemental battle royale at some point at the end is what's going to have to happen. Hmm. Well, and I mean ultimately. As it happens, it's supposed to be like a tragic story, right? You don't want to be the chosen of Theros Dunn. You're trying to be the good guy here. Well, but, that's but, true. But no matter what you do, the only you know the only way to be successful is by killing these guys. But when you do, you be, you get closer to being cho- becoming the chosen. Hmm. Hmm. Exactly. Hmm. All right. Well, that's that's what the, what the idea I'm I'm chewing with. And if any listeners have any ideas, feel free to shoot us an email at thetomeshow at gmail.com or leave a comment in the, in the show notes. I'll be curious to see, see what people think. They'll probably come up with some pretty good stuff. They might. Other than that, since I do have a minute and 53 seconds left, um, I also have a situation where my players are sleeping in the dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> on, one hand, on, on, on one hand, that is... Supposed to be a legitimate option. On the other hand, if you're going to make that choice, there has to be some threat. Right? Sure. There, there has to be some danger involved in that. It depends uh, on where they're sleeping. Well, right. And they're sleeping in an area that they feel like they've already relatively cleared out and is fairly defensible because it's only got one or two you know, entrance and exits. Uh, it's kind of out of the way and not very populated, they, they, they believe, from the signs they've read. you know. So I th- they've gone to some effort to try to find a safe place, but they don't want to have to fight their way through the front gate again. Hmm. Hmm. And kind of ran just typical random encounters won't do it for you. Well, and I could, I could just do typical random encounters. Um, I suppose maybe this is an opportunity to bring in, um, our, our elite soldiers who skinned the blue dragon way back in the day. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> out hunt, wearing out the hunt blue dragon him. armor. Yeah. Out hunting for him. You know, instead of a monster, you could have them encounter another party of adventurers. Mm-hmm. That's always fun. Do I, well, and I suppose what I should do is I may, give them a, a percent chance of a of random encounter. Uh, that th- you know that is what random means, right? Um, right. And and you know, depending on w- what efforts they go into to try to you know protect themselves or hide themselves, change the percentage maybe. Could be that would work. Yeah, because I mean they did go through a lot of effort. They went through the through the effort of making tracks like they left, um, and then covering up their tracks as they came back in and finding this indefensible place that was already not really occupied before. And you know, so they put some effort into hiding. Maybe I give them an, an advantage then. I have to admit, I kind of like a scenario where you know, like Order of the Stick versus uh, the Linear Guild kind of a thing. Yeah. No, and I yeah. think there's there's a lot of opportunities to do that. That said, um, I, I think I'd, I I want to make there a chance of that because I don't want that to be sort of the norm. Oh, right. Sure. And I don't know that I'd want to necessarily do it right away. Like right now I want them to feel like they're the ones that have opened up this place for adventure, right? There's a reason that there weren't adventurers here before because, you know, it was guarded and there was a gate and all that kind of stuff. Now there's not. They defeated the guardians at, right. the, at the gate. They've actually literally burned part of the gate down <laughs> so to make sure it can, <laughs> never, it can never be locked up again. Um, so, you know, now that it's open, you know, over the course of the next few weeks, I figure now there's an opportunity for more adventurers to show up. But, you know, that's good. And that's my time. Yeah. So I've got some things to chew on, and I've, I've, we've, our listeners have some things to chew on and some ideas to, to send me. Um, so 
get on that, guys. Yeah, we had some good questions this time, so keep that up because yeah. that's good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you want to email us uh, your questions or your thoughts or your suggestions, you can email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com, and I will uh, send that out to, to everybody that needs to, to read it. Uh, or you can call us up at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. That is the Tome's biz line, and we will uh, utilize that here as well. So you could actually hear your voice on the podcast. Ta-da. I guess that's the episode, right? Sounds good. Sounds, you, like it, sounds like it's a wrap. Look for show notes at the at thetomeshow.com, and uh, we're exactly at 59 minutes. When I add the, the add-in, that'll be an hour even. So everybody say goodbye. Goodbye. Excellent gaming. Goodbye.